0: You're listening to an Annalise Ministries podcast. When you head off on your fantasy adventures, do you ever want to go north? Well, today on Systematic Geekology, that's what we're going to do as we head into The Chronicles of Narnia, The Horse and His Boy. We are the priests of the geeks, meaning that we are mediators between the Christian faith and pop culture. This isn't a trap or a bait and switch. This is merely Two guys who love the Chronicles of Narnia, love C.S. Lewis, and we want to take an opportunity to talk to you about it today. If you enjoy what we do here at Systematic Ecology, then please head on over to patreon.com slash Systematic where you can get weekly d and playthroughs, monthly comic book reviews, and other great exclusive content. And you just have to start at a dollar. That's not that much. We're cheaper than Starbucks. I'm on your host for today's episode, Brandon Knight, and I am almost fully recovered from this weekend. I was, it was our youth group winter camp, walking around in the snow and boots, and my knees were killing me like an old man yesterday, but I'm doing a lot better today. And, you know, honestly, we always like to talk about the stuff that we geek out on. This month, my free time has just been the Winter Olympics, and I, uh, it's just so fun. A lot of a lot of skiing, a lot of big air snowboard tricks, and ice hockey. I really wish I could claim uh, Hillary Knight as my cousin, but I can't. Even though she's awesome, I really want to. So yeah, that's what I've been up to.
1: Uh, I am Joe. I am one of the hosts here, podcaster, broadcaster, marketer, and uh, I have tried. To get into the Olympics, um, I'm I'm been teaching uh, my wife some of the the winter sports from my time in the Midwest. How it's a huge thing mm. out there, but uh, yeah, I don't know what it is about about the Winter Olympics, but I just can't seem to get into them as much.
0: Well, if you ask my wife, it's because this is for like Ivy League one percenters. That's what the Winter Olympics are, because it's all the skiing and, and, you know, just like more preppy sports. Although curling is I don't know who claims curling. I think that's a Canada thing and a Midwest. We like curling out here. But uh, summer games are so much more for everybody. I mean, you have basketball and running and things like that. Anyway, so today we are going to be talking about the horse and his boy as part of our year long C.S. Lewis extravaganza each month. We're going to highlight a different book by C.S. Lewis. And on Patreon, there's going to be exclusive episodes going up on there, going deeper into some of these conversations, doing movie reviews for the Disney uh, Narnia books when they start coming out. But today we're going to be looking at the horse and his boy. This is if I've got the timeline correct in the release order. This is book number five in the chronological order this is book number three because this is set during the reign of king peter and edmund and queen susan and lucy so this would take place just during like that tail end last chapter of the lion the witch and the wardrobe fact check me i'm right okay
1: yeah, this, this is... happened in between. It technically, uh, it's put in between um, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and uh, Prince Caspian. T- the in the the timeline of it all.
0: Okay, and if you're wondering why we're doing our own order, don't worry; it'll make sense in the end. We're and we're going to talk about more than just the li- or excuse me, the Chronicles of Narnia this year. We got some other things coming up, like the Screw Tape Letters. I think next month we're going to do an episode more on mere or not mere Christianity Surprise by joy. We're going to talk about Surprise by joy next month, which was the real world birthing of the Chronicles of Narnia to some degree. So, but today horse and his boy, Joe, what is your experience with the Chronicles of Narnia and this book specifically?
1: So I came to these books um, later on In life, well, I came to Christ later on in life, but I came to—I found these books a couple of months after I got saved. I was laid up with a hernia, and Mm. I was looking for things to read and things like that. And so I binged through the Narnia series, and this was this book was interesting to me because it builds out the world. I'm Mm -hmm. a big fan of world building in my IP. Like if I if Mm -hmm. you create something that's immersive, I'm a huge fan because it makes it feel lived in and it makes it feel Mm -hmm. like there's more than just a handful of characters. Like there's a lot of things going on all at the same time.
0: Yeah, the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and Prince Caspian specifically both pretty much take place with the same group of characters right here in the same square footage in Narnia. But you got books like The Horse and His Boy and also even Voyage of the Dawn Treader*, where you're expanding outward. You're getting more of the landscape. You're getting more of... The, there is more than just Narnia. There's other countries. There's other islands. There's other kingdoms. But specifically here with Horse and His Boy, you're getting more characters. A lot of times, Lewis introduces these characters and they kind of reoccur throughout the story. Obviously, Peter, Susan, Edmund and Lucy, they show up a lot. Caspian shows up a lot. The cousin Eustace, I believe is his name, Eustace, who shows up in Dawn Shredder. He makes several appearances. Primarily, these characters are here. We don't really get them in other books as much. Our main characters, of course, being let me run this down for us all. Shasta, which I believe is also a soda. His horse Bree, who is a talking horse. Aravis, Aravis. Now I know how people feel when they're checking out Lord of the Rings names. And Hewen, who is also a talking horse. And those are our four main characters along with supporting characters, and this is like their one story, isn't it?
1: Yeah, this is this is the only time that you hear of a lot of these characters um you do find there are some characters in this that we will see again uh namely Tash um the big bad if you will of okay. this particular story we will see him again at the end in the final battle mm. um the, the last battle um yes and i do believe if memory serves me correctly there's insinuations towards uh, Brie again, that that the horse comes up. So, but largely speaking, this is considered one of the more standalone stories when it comes to uh, Narnia.
0: As for me, when it comes to the Chronicles of Narnia, I don't remember when this showed up in my life as joe and i have talked before i'm kind of the atypical christian who was a homeschooler went to a private school in high school went to a christian school in college so i don't remember a time without narnia i i even have seen those really cheesy bbc films have you seen the bbc films joe oh i DVD really
1: like the bbc films okay i thought they were as well done as you can get with the budget with with the the budget bracket that they were in
0: the budget bracket bracket and the time frame yes yep. yes i would agree with that 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 it, it's pretty much par for the course for that time period um but as for the books i've never actually gotten through all of them This is one of the ones I've I'm a little bit familiar with. I brushed up on it for this episode. My wife and I are reading them all together right now, though. So but we're going in release order because I'm that guy who prefers the release order. So we're on Caspian, right? Prince Caspian right now. So it'll be a little bit before I get the full thrust of this story. But I'm familiar enough to do this episode. So, Joe, why don't you then being more of the expert? Why don't you give us a little bit more of the uh, plot summary? What is going on here in the horse and his boy?
1: So, like you said, this is set during the what's known as the Golden age of Narnia. Um, we have a boy named Shasta who lives with a poor fisherman, and the thing that you're going to learn very quickly about Shasta is he's got a tough life. He's treated like garbage by the man who he thought was his father. Um and and he was always the the wondering type, the wanting wanting for adventure, wondering what what's beyond the borders sort of thing, what's beyond the, the hills to the north. Um but his curiosity is always kind of stifled by the fishermen. And they um it, we, we see this scene where the fisherman shasta comes up and the fisherman haggling basically with another gentleman for basically selling off the boy and this is where he finds off or this is where he finds out that the fisherman is not actually his father and this is the moment where you think you know oh you know this is he's not he's not my dad you know who am i sort of thing like he's actually relieved to find out Hmm. that he's not he's not his his biological son um but that he actually found him in a small boat with a soldier who had died and so um,
0: none of this sounds remotely familiar to anything from the bible we'll get to it
1: right (laughs) <laughs> right um so this is the moment when they're when they're basically haggling over shasta this is where he slips away and you know wondering you know where, where to go uh he stumps, he stumbles upon a horse that he is um very surprised can talk and um they make a plan to head north to a land called Narnia. Um, because they're in the South in a town called uh Kalorman, and so they had uh, they head north after hearing about Narnia, the horse's homeland that he was taken from for as as a young colt. It's something that we're going to find out. Shasta and the horse both having common. so along the way, a series of events happens, like um they're forced by lions to meet up with a young runaway uh named Tarkina, who's a noblewoman um as along with her Narnian horse Win um she's running um, she's running away to avoid marriage um well to to uh, basically an arranged marriage and along the way they have a variety of adventures and Shasta finds um that finds out that he is looks strikingly similar to the Prince of Arkinland, which is a small buffer country between Narnia and Kalorman. Um and along the way, he's actually uh mistaken to for his double, which is the prince. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's brought to the palace of queen susan and gets a chance to meet the adult versions of the children from the lion the witch and the wardrobe which was a really cool um piece to be able to see these characters operate as adults and see them as kings sure. and queens and things like that um and along the way the um they find out that the that there's a secret attack on Arkanland and Narnia that's being planned, and so um, Shasta joins up with them, and they manage to cross the desert in a race against time to warn the king of Arkanland about the attack. Um, but just as they're running out of energy, too tired to make the to, to make the trek and finish in time, um, they're attacked again by a lion and chased to Arkenland, where they stop at a hermit's cottage. Um, and he goes on alone to find King Loon to warn him of the attack, and he gets lost along the way and receives guidance along a path from this monstrous feline, who we come to find out is Aslan. Um, and they're kind of they're going along along the path, and it's the scene of try, Shasta trying to sort out whether or not this lion is there to attack, or hmm. basically a good person or a bad person. And when he figures mm-hmm. out it's a good person, he just unloads and hmm. just empties himself to Aslan. And gives him all of this stuff. And Aslan says to Shasta that he 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 lets him know that you know you are you are not unfortunate. And hmm. that it's it's a double take moment because you're like, wait a minute, what you just gave he just gave you this entire sob story, this this horrible story. Mm-hmm. And come to find out, it was actually Aslan that was looking out for him all along the way, we find out that uh Asland was the lion that got them lost, which actually saved their life because if they would have went the correct way, they would have um they would have caught up with the invading forces in which time they would have mm. absolutely been captured. Mm-hmm. Um you find out that when they are um that when they are attacked Then, when they're too tired to continue, it was Aslan that pushed them that furthermore. And you come to find out that as they're walking along this path, there's a giant, basically a giant ravine to the one side that Aslan is protecting him from from falling Hmm. off and falling down this this ravine. Mm -hmm. And so, we see throughout that that all throughout the way that when it looked like. Uh, Shasta was completely alone when it looked like Shasta was was in the darkest moments. That Aslan was looking out for him um, along the way, and so we we as we get this get get the the revelation moment of this being Aslan. We move to mm-hmm. Shasta going and warning the king, at which time um, we see this we see the scene of King Loon. You know, awestruck because he sees this boy who is the exact uh, twin of his son, the prince. And Mm. we come to find out that they were separated at birth and which Mm. led to the events of um, the uh, which led to the events of Shasta being pushed. And it's something that Aslan lets him know. I am the lion that you do not remember that pushed your boat along the way to um to be found by the fisherman and basically mm-hmm. saving his life from what would mm-hmm. have been almost certain death as as a child again hmm. where we're not we're not far off from um from 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 a very biblical example of these yes. very same story points and things like that but we find out that it's it, that that there is a uh prophecy basically of 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 Shasta um uh, being the one to come back and to save the day and to save the 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 country and all of those mm-hmm. kinds of things um and that's essentially we see we see Shasta um staying in the court of Arkenland going on to um become a king and eventually um Aravis who is the the person he's, he's been teamed up with um they Mm -hmm. go on to marry and rule over the kingdom together so that's a reader's digest version um there's a lot of this is one of those that absolutely like go and go and read it for yourself because there's so much idiosyncrasy and world building to this that Mm -hmm. a, a reader's digest summary can't do it justice
0: I think my favorite part of The Horse and His Boy is that not only is it the more expansive kind of standalone story in the Chronicles of Narnia, but also it's very unique in tone and presentation as well. Lewis is usually very eclectic when it comes to the characters the side characters that are introduced into a story this is actually one of jrr tolkien's biggest uh critiques of the series is that you look at the lion the witch in the wardrobe which would have been the first book that came out you have uh greek mythology and roman mythology and north mythology characters all and father christmas and all these different things being brought together into one cohesive universe And each story is kind of unique and different. Whereas the horse and his boy. At least from the Reader's Digest version, is very simple. It's a very standard, I would say very standard fantasy story of the long lost prince who comes home. That is the even shorter version. It's the long lost prince who finally comes home to his kingdom. And you've got a couple talking horses and you have this side story of the young girl who's in an arranged marriage that she doesn't want to be in. Okay, that only summarizes half of the Disney films out there. Like these are usual fantasy story te- uh, storytelling techniques and motifs that Lewis seems to just unashamedly lean into, and I, it's it's a refreshing change of pace for the Chronicles of Narnia.
1: Yeah, you know, I think that there's a very fine line between be, between just enough and way too much. And with with these stories and this one in particular, this is an example of toting that line very, very well. And, mm-hmm. and by that, I mean, you know, I, I am a, I am a, to, not to steal Dan's gimmick, but I would say that I am a Narnia super fan in a lot of respects i will say mm-hmm. the the hot take of of the episode I think that Narnia is a better series than Lord of the Rings. I think it's more cohesive I think and it, Brandon it, just
0: it, ended the episode right there. No, I'm just kidding Keep right. going. <laughs> i think
1: it i I think it drags less, and I think it's far less convoluted and overloaded. Than Lord of the Rings is, and for me, I recognize that you know, yeah, okay, so you like this, so what? Okay, you like the Bible story, yes, that's part of it, but when you really dig into what Lewis is trying to accomplish with these stories, it goes beyond Mm. just allegory, right? Like that's that the argument is, you know, was it allegory or was it not allegory? Okay anybody and their mother can see that there's allegorical aspects to the Narnia series, but Mm -hmm. it's not one for one. And I think that that's part of the mistake that Mm -hmm. we run into when we try to fit Narnia into just pure allegory, not even the Lion, Mm -hmm. the Witch and the Wardrobe is pure allegory. Mm -mm. And so when you take these story beats that, you know are are not new to Narnia, you know mm-hmm. they're not new to Disney, they're not new to anything modern they're They're part of the standard set of storytelling procedures that have been around mm-hmm. for a very, very long time, and then you couple them with biblical themes written in a way that is accessible to everybody. You have a compelling story on your hands you have a compelling story that Mm -hmm. can be written or can be read rather in the full context of of it all or stand alone on its own. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And I think looking at the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, I would say is the only one that's the most blatant with the allegoricalness with the theology, everything else, especially books like Prince Caspian. It's a little it's a lot more subtle, I would say, at least Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe. I would say, you know what's going on here. We know what's going on here, like the purpose of this book. The other ones, I think, are not as much on the nose.
1: Uh, On the nose, I would agree. Okay. the one thing I will say is. When you look at each one of these stories, and maybe this is because I'm an adult that I, that I see this, that to me, each one of them very blatantly points to scripture. Okay. The lion, the witch in the wardrobe, it's the atonement. We all know it's Mm -hmm. the atonement Right. when, you know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. okay, fine. But with the rest of them, it's still evident that they, they point to different mm-hmm. scriptural references and things like that. It's just how well it's, it's done. I think is the big, is the big thing. Meaning like, to me, I would not be surprised if come to find out one day on the other side of the veil that the Narnia series series was divinely inspired because you mm. mean to tell me that it was an entire grouping of stories that so eloquently points to scriptural things even take aslan right the mm-hmm. allegory for jesus it, it's not a one-for-one comparison even in the even mm-hmm. in the um even in in the witch in the wardrobe sure it, that it's it's not a one-for-one comparison in, but like it still points to what is truth it's not saying that it mm-hmm. is truth itself but it points to what is truth and with this one in particular it it starts you down this rabbit hole of asking questions of pulling at at, at threads and wondering okay what is this whole idea of something greater than us that mm. protects us and is guiding us and mm-hmm. all of those kinds of things
0: yeah i can i i i can see what you're coming from with that that maybe it's not as much on the nose, but they're definitely there. There are scripture references there. It's not like Pilgrim's Progress, where sometimes the dialogue is just Bible verses, but it's there. So I, I would agree with you on that one. We talked, we hinted at it a little bit, but are we uh, in agreement that there seems to be a little bit of a Moses-ness to this character, Shasta, at least in the origin of this character?
1: with the character itself yes with the storyline i think that's where you start to it starts to fall away from the um moses analogy but mm-hmm. definitely in the genesis of the character you you definitely see a through line of um divine providence saving a child into seemingly orphan orphanhood and you know, then then a series of events leading that character back to his people to eventually mm-hmm. lead his people.
0: Yes. The in between part, very different. That's there's not a one for one comparison there. But this uh, this motif that we see in the Old Testament of salvation coming through. Unforeseen circumstances, salvation coming through. Uh, what seems to be chaotic circumstances. You know, there's oftentimes illusions drawn between Moses and also the Ark, Noah's Ark, of this salvation coming through chaos, of even in the boat type of mentality. And we have that here with Shasta. It's a long story. It's a long run to get from him as a little baby to living as a slave, essentially, low-key, a slave to this man to then becoming the ruler or one of the rulers over in Archland. Arkenland. Arkenland? Ar- Arkenland? Not Archland. Arkenland. Correct. I got to say these things correctly. But we have this divine providence that takes place in this story of Aslan, of Jesus moving things, moving the pieces behind the, the wall as well.
1: Yeah. Um this moment where we start to see um where we start to see all of the places where Aslan was you know for me in recording this recording this episode to go back and to refresh myself with these aspects of the story and things like that again I know that Aslan is not Jesus. I know that Narnia is not the Bible. I understand that (laughs) it is a man-made work and all of those kinds of things. But there's power in being able to recognize when a fictional work points you to actual truth and Mm -hmm. points to concepts that are actual and true. And to see this divine providence, Displayed in a way that it steps steps outside of the boundaries of the Bible, mm-hmm. and, and I know for some people that makes their skin crawl. <laughs> but it's okay to have similar storylines in a different context that mm-hmm. are designed to take you closer to the source material. And so, yeah, there we see this this work that's orchestrated in a way that sometimes and the the more I get into analyzing these these fandoms in the kind of way that we do Mm -hmm. you know yes I you know I muddled my way through explaining the book synopsis of the story you know, I, I gave the Reader's Digest version of this, but now we 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 move on to analyzing these things. And the more that I I do these episodes for the show and the more that we analyze these things in the kind of way that we do, the more I see the power in having something that isn't the source material that points mm-hmm. to a similar concept. Because... It's a fresh set of eyes. It's a fresh take. It's a fresh sure. perspective on, on the same kind of truth. You know, We're all saying the same thing, that mm-hmm. God has divine providence, that God protects us even mm-hmm. when we don't like, yes, that is what we are getting at. But to have it displayed in this other kind of way, I think is powerful. And the more people that I talk to that have had interactions with these books, the more that I see that, hey, this shed a different kind of light on these biblical truths and concepts that Mm -hmm. weren't, that I wasn't necessarily aware of before.
0: That's interesting. Yeah, the more I sit here and reflect on this story, the more I realize that it, it starts with Moses, but it progresses like Joseph, you know, this, you know, Shasta's story is more like Joseph in how it carries out throughout the book of this man who, in case you haven't, been to Sunday school recently. This man who was sold as a slave by his brothers, who was accused of raping someone that he did not do, who was forgotten about in prison, that God eventually installs as the second in command, essentially, in Egypt. And he almost does the staring down the barrel of the gun when he finally uh, talks it's reunited with his brothers does the fourth wall break and says, "What well, you intended for evil. God intended for good. And this is basically what we see here in the horse and his boy is that what his false father intended for evil, what all these dangers were intending for evil. Aslan intended it for good.
1: So this I think for me one of the things that that is so special about this particular story and if, especially if we can get out of the mindset that Lewis has to be speaking direct scri- scripture reference that's not mm-hmm. what Narnia is. Right. And that's it to anybody like in in order to really fundamentally appreciate what Lewis is getting at you kind of need to know how the inklings wrote and i mean Mm -hmm. i I don't just mean lewis i i -hmm. mean the the mindset that took place in that group of writers and the the way that they the different ways that they both they they appreciated or and and approached these concepts because Mm -hmm. that's for as for as much as people say tolkien wasn't uh wasn't an allegorist there's absolutely allegory in the Lord of the Rings series, just the same as there is in Narnia, in the Narniad. And and for those of you that don't know, the Narniad is the reference to everything pertaining to, to Narnia. Um, and, and so there's, if we can get out of the mindset that this has to be a one-for-one comparison, like Aslan is a one-for-one comparison to Jesus – Aslan's mm-hmm. one of the few characters in the Narniad that is a one-for-one comparison. The Emperor Beyond the Sea obviously is God, and sure. but beyond that, there's not there there are, there are different characters that you can make different arguments for that represent different characters within the Bible, depending on okay. which part of the story you're looking at. Especially because a lot of these characters, they don't that they, they they represent different things at different points in the whole uh, in the whole story. Mm-hmm. And so for me approaching it from this aerial view standpoint, I see Romans 828 all over this thing. Now I want to quote this exactly as it is because half of this verse has a tendency to get lost. So I'm going to read out of the NIV and we know that in all things, God works for good, catch this, of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It's usually that for, that front half of the verse that gets quoted, and generally speaking, misquoted. Um, generally. Yeah. And so looking at this, we see this character that has been beaten up has seen the horrors of the world has seen all of these things but god is taking these these different things and aslan is taking these different things and working Mm -hmm. them for the greater good and we Mm -hmm. find that you know, it's, it's not a character that has known about Aslan the whole time and is professing to, to be part of sure. Aslan's uh, army and all of this kind of stuff. But we see as soon as these two meet, and this is a, this is a through line throughout the Narniad, right? When people hear Aslan speak, there's a gut reaction. When people meet mm-hmm. Aslan, there's a gut reaction. There's mm-hmm. an instant reaction of loathing or loving mm-hmm that's a, there's a there's a very familiar aspect to that because we see that oftentimes there's not this gradual kind of relationship with the savior with christ that we are either put off or we embrace this idea mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And yes, you can at different parts in your life be at different ends of that spectrum. I know that there was a point in my life where I was 100% repulsed by the idea of an all-knowing creator God. That I thought Mm -hmm. that the whole Jesus thing was just a lot of people trying to reconcile their own mortality. Okay. And it wasn't until I I finally heard the gospel message for the first Mm -hmm. time and and heard it with a softened heart, that it shattered my entire world. And mm-hmm. when we see, when Shasta meets Aslan, he embraces Aslan, and comes to understand what Aslan's done for him. And mm-hmm. we see this kind of relationship of love, and we see that Shasta, through the whole series, through the prophecy, through the the series of events, through all of it, has been called to something greater than the station of this slave boy and things like yeah. that to lead his people and things like that.
0: Yeah, so going, you know, and even looking at this from the perspective of he is a slave who is brought out of slavery into kingdom lifestyle, like that is... That is scriptural in and of itself. Like he has been adopted from this world that, this world of enslavement. Romans 6 talks about we are slaves of sin and brought into uh, slaves of righteousness. Like Shasta is delivered from this one lifestyle and is constantly being moved along, even though he's completely unaware of it, by Aslan into a lifestyle that of royalty but it's because of aslan and as you said he embraces aslan i love in all of these different narnia books when characters come to know aslan for the first time i don't know if i'm going to be on this episode but my favorite is the voyage of the dawn treader when eustace meets aslan when he's a dragon that is my favorite of all of the encounters with aslan stories throughout the chronicles of narnia but going back even earlier, you know, you were talking about how. We need to get out of this idea, or you talked about how you spend time in these different geek and you start to see these allusions to scripture, either being on the very on the nose or just a thin line of it. Like that's Lewis's conversion in of all things that you see that in Lewis's conversion. Not to take any thunder from when you talk about surprised by joy. So sorry, you might hear this part again. But his biggest hang up with the whole idea of Jesus was that all throughout different mythologies, you always have a Messiah like figure of someone who dies and comes back. And Tolkien is the one who leaves him with this idea of, is it a possibility that the story of Jesus is the main one? This is the one that all the other stories are pulling from, to because this is something that we are craving. This is something that is in our heart's desire that we have an ultimate savior, that we have a Messiah. And it was through that conversion, through that conversation, and a very long walk that Lewis became the very uh, reluctant convert of accepting who Jesus is as the ultimate Messiah figure. And we see that throughout his writings as well, especially here in the Chronicles of Narnia, of using characters, using biblical metaphors that come up as allusions to the ultimate grand narrative.
1: Yeah, and that's, I think, one of the things that I appreciate so much about Narnia, about Lewis, and especially Lewis in comparison to other um writers and other mm-hmm. uh especially other other authors in his t- lane I guess is a good way of mm-hmm. putting it um because he the the illusions that he creates and the the inferences that he makes and the way that he explores these concepts and things like that is so i guess realistic in 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 its fantasy. Hmm. And by that I mean to me, the responses that these characters have, they're very relatable. They're very okay. human. Lost mm-hmm. in all of this, what we've been talking so much about Shasta. Let's talk about Brie for a minute. Brie is okay. an Ornean horse. For those of you that don't know, A, go and read the books before before even <laughs> before listening to these, go and read the books um but with the with Bree Bree is a Narnian horse Narnian horses can talk mm-hmm. he is away from Narnia around what are what he refers to as dumb horses and he realized right quick that it's best off for him if he stays quiet and so with with hmm. chastity, he opens up, he has an opportunity to talk, all of these kinds of things. And then when put in this situation, we see him as the great pontificator. And like he you, he's hmm. presented almost in a Shakespearean kind of way, like okay. a Shakespearean character. And sure. he he acts like he's so much better and so much smarter than everybody else because he's scared. Because he's afraid oh. that when he gets put a, put around uh other talking horses other talking animals other like people Mm -hmm. will he measure up will he be the dumb horse Mm. and and that to me like i I get it like that's part of why i had such a problem being around other christians for as long as i did because i didn't want i didn't want other christians to drag me out to the deep waters and drown me there in theology Mm. I I didn't feel like I I could fit in and all of those kinds of things. So to me there's so many of these characters that are so human and relatable that it's so it's such a beautiful picture to to see that these imperfect people, these imperfect creatures operating around things larger than them and operating around an entity that is gracious and loving and all of these kinds of things.
0: Yeah, I I actually really connect with that. Like, I hated the idea of being dragged to the deep end and having to debate stuff. And I'm the guy who went to Bible college and seminary. Like, that's just part of the nature of the beast there. And I I would just sit there and be quiet because I did not want to get chewed apart. I did not try to put on, I didn't put the mask on that Bree does of, I have everything together. I went into full turtle mode and would just hide in the back and just hope that nobody would want to try to go rounds with me because that's just, I, I hated that idea. That scared me to death. And talking about relatability of the Narnian characters. There is nothing more relatable than a kid willing to sell his brothers and sisters out for candy. Like, this is just the most childlike thing out there of, hey, you want some candy and hot chocolate? Cool. Just give me your brothers and sisters. That's all I'm asking for.
1: Right. Right. That temptation part is something that, and I think that that's part of why, honestly, and this is, this was, this point was raised during the Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe episode that temptation is something, the way that temptation is presented in the Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe is so relatable. But mm-hmm. the way that temptation is presented in all of these is so relatable like tempta- mm. the the way that these very raw human emotions are presented is relatable because emotions are raw emotions. Sure. Are messy and they tend to, they tend to lead to messy situations.
0: Yes. I think it's a old church saying that sin will take you further than you've ever wanted to go. I think that's an old church saying And you can catch that episode of the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe here in April, I believe, just in time for Easter, just as we planned. And also over on our blog in a couple months, I'm going to be writing an article on that moment, on that temptation specifically through a little forgotten song by the David Crowder band. So be on the lookout for those. You can also find the blog and other relatable content over on SystematicGeekology.org. Joe, is there anything else you would like to say on this book or should we start wrapping things up?
1: Yeah, I, this is one of those books that I think if you allow yourself to be, you can get swept up in, you know, I think that sometimes Mm -hmm. Narnia gets a bit of a bad rep because it's not as highbrow as some of its contemporaries, things Mm -hmm. like the Hobbit series you know things like mm-hmm. the space trilogy stuff like that that these other books are written in a way where they're more adult themed they're more sure. skewed towards maturity and things like that but this is this is fantasy at its best but fantasy mm-hmm. that has a moralistic perspective to it and if you allow yourself to go there that is a lot of fun to get caught up in.
0: Yeah. You know, there's a reason why these books why this book series is beloved by kids and adults. My brother-in-law, he's maybe 10 years older than me or so. Every year he starts off every year reading through the Chronicles of Narnia. That is the first thing he reads at the and he's a Presbyterian pastor and all this good stuff. His kids, like, those are their heroes. Ed, uh, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy, those are their heroes. That's who they play fantasy as when they're dressing up in costumes. Like, this is a beloved series that you can very easily get swept up in and have a great time, even teaching your children. Like, this is almost like a basic children's catechism of very important spiritual truths that um, you can install in your kids as they start growing up. And on that note, let's start wrapping things up. So, Joe, do we have any recommendations today for our audience?
1: So, yes, I do have I do have a recommendation. There is a YouTube channel called Ryan Reeves. He is a theological um, literary professor that um, did an entire series on all of the Inklings books. And goes, like, he is, he breaks down systematically how to read Narnia, how to read the Lord of the Rings series, comparing and contrasting uh, Tolkien and Lewis, but not just mm-hmm. from a, this is a Bible school, so we're going to point it directly towards scripture. No, he admits to the fact that that's it, this is not all completely and totally allegory, like, that's the wrong mm-hmm. way to read them. He is a literary professor at a christian college not a theological professor that happens to teach uh uh, literature and the way that he's able to break these down is really fascinating if Mm -hmm. you're the type of person that is interested in the storytelling beats and dissecting it and mm-hmm. understanding past that base level of it's just an allusion to scripture. If, if that's something that you're into, look him up on YouTube. Like I said, Ryan Reeves, he's through a, a theological Institute. I don't remember what the name of it is, but he has whole playlists of these different things.
0: That man is who I want to be when I grow up. Like that is, Exactly what I've always wanted is to be more of a like literary classics professor than and also theologian than theologian who rips apart. Books anyway, uh, my recommendation is a self plug high trick to you all, because on my seminary life last year, I did a six episodes i think on c.s lewis talking about uh bits of his different work including an episode called we are edmund we oftentimes get compared to edmund at, in the lion the witch in the wardrobe and if that is true then to me that means we have to be edmund also in prince caspian so that's the episode that is very specifically tied to what we're talking about here today with the chronicles of narnia But it was last summer, a whole bunch of good episodes in there, and I got really excited doing all of them. Joe, if anybody wants to keep up with you, where can they find you?
1: Uh, You can find me around through my other shows. I co-host Buddy Walk with Jesus, as well as Kingdom on the Road. Um, And you can find both of those shows on Facebook, uh, as well as at BuddyWalkWithJesus.com.
0: And like I said, I have a show called My Seminary Life. You can find it where you get your podcasts and on Facebook and Instagram at My Seminary Life Pod. And if you're interested in seeing ridiculous stuff that I post on Instagram, you can find me at just.brandon.k. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Like I said earlier, this whole year, we're going to be going through all of the Chronicles of Narnia, Space Trilogy. It's going to be a great year of C.S. Lewis stuff. So stay tuned for more on that. And remember, we are all a chosen priesthood, a geekdom of priests.